Hello, and welcome to the Rising Warrior Podcast. Today, we have the special pleasure of talking with Mike Salemi. Mike specializes in human performance and is a sought-after international presenter in the field of health and fitness. He has a diverse background in strength and conditioning and has competed at the elite level of powerlifting and kettlebell sport. Among other things, he's currently working with Santa Clara County Fire Department as well as Menlo Park Fire Department in a holistic approach towards wellness for the first responders. In this episode, we talk about breath, a holistic approach to wellness, and the overall health of first responders and what can be done. If you find any of this episode entertaining, interesting, or valuable, please share so that this information can get into the hands of those who need it. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Mike, thank you for joining us, brother. Um, I, know, I know we just had an opportunity to chat a little bit offline about you know some of the shenanigans going on. But first and foremost, we just want to thank you for being on, on the podcast. Uh, we know that you've got a lot to talk about, a lot of things that are relevant to the, to the population that, that we're looking to reach. Um, so yeah, first and foremost, thank you. And <clears throat> yeah, to get things started, um, uh, if you can talk a little bit about the work that you've done with, uh, the first responders, firefighters that you've worked with out in the Bay area. And, um, sounds like you guys are doing a lot of like a holistic approach to their overall well being. And, you know, for anybody listening to our podcast, they know like that is a huge thing that we're here for. Well, that's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, right? Taking that holistic approach. So yeah, if you want to start off by, you know, sharing a little bit about what your experience has been and some of the things that you're been, that you've been doing and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Sure, man. You know, when I think back to when I first started working really closely, specifically with firefighters, but also other first responders, we're probably going back to 2018, transitioning 2019. And like my focus, whether it's with first responders or outside of that community, it's always taking a holistic approach. And that really basically stemmed from my own experiences as a competitive athlete, where you know, I've gotten injured plenty of times competing at a high level. And one of the biggest, biggest aha awareness moments for me was it's not all about sets and reps and loads and rest periods, all that stuff. It's so much more truly like not just because it sounds cool to say, but truly like it's we were talking offline breath work, sleep, you know, how we manage our thoughts, the stories in our head, like all that stuff is what really for me what what creates not just a great athlete once but a great athlete and a healthy athlete for the long term so having been injured having had to rebuild my body having having to relook at all these specific areas that i had no idea were playing as big of a role in the background as they were once i was basically forced to look at them it's the same thing with firefighters and first responders firefighters and first responders are actual people which i don't think uh many people even want to acknowledge <laughs> but like they are actual people with actual problems and real lives. And in fact, one of the things when I go and speak with firefighters specifically in the, one of the first talks, whether it was back in 2018-ish, even up to now when we, I just worked with Menlo Park Fire Department in the Bay Area, you know, one of the first conversations I have to have is, is educating these guys and gals that they need to be and in fact are some of the most functional athletes in the world. But there's a massive, massive discrepancy of what they need to be both physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually, and what's actually happening out there. And so I've typically been brought into stations. I've done all of Santa Clara County, which is over 10 stations. Um, also now Menlo Park. And we're launching a new program in the new year, New year, me and my partner, uh, Danielle Cook-Kawash. 
And yes, there is a fitness component of it because that is movement is absolutely critical. And there's a shit ton of injuries that firefighters go through, <laughs> but it's truly looking at every aspect of health and wellness. So like we can get these guys, I mean, there's the statistics are just ridiculous. Like when you look at uh, cardiac events, cancer, mm -hmm. uh, when you look at sleep disorders, when you look at shoulders and back injuries, like it's ridiculous. The amount that these stations are paying each year in things like workman's comp is just astronomical. So a lot of my work does take place. My side is on the fitness side, but it's through the lens of looking at every other piece that contributes and affects the fitness side and just the overall health of these guys and gals. Yeah, I love uh, actually, yeah, I love hearing how you made the connection of being an athlete and that's coming from right being in the veteran space ourselves. And then as we've been working more with first responders, you know, fitness is such a huge aspect of <clears throat> that culture, right? And in, in the military, it's to a fault, right? Like I know my experience being in the military. Um, yeah, the, the fitness component was not the greatest. And I, I know for me, like coming out, like I got into CrossFit, I found community there. And I know CrossFit's been trying to be implemented in some way, shape or form in, in those populations as well. And it can be done effectively. Um, <clears throat> but like even in CrossFit, right? It's like you're referring to to the people doing CrossFit as athletes. And so like just that simple switch can really have a huge impact. So I'm glad you, you made that distinction because yeah, like if we were to think of athletes, you know, from a professional sense, like they're some of the most uh, cared for people when it comes to fitness, right? Well, and it doesn't matter what sport they're playing, like as an athlete, like fitness being a big component, but yeah, I mean, they take care of themselves and we often refer to you know, I, like I remember being in the CrossFit space, referring to my members as athletes, because it's like, I want you to approach it that way. So that way you can put yourself in their shoes through the mindset of like, they're taking care of themselves. Right. And like that, that's one of the biggest differences, you know, as opposed to just going out and just destroying your body for the sake of, you know, saying that you're becoming more fit. So super happy that you made that connection. And then, yeah, speaking more into that, that holistic approach where it's like, yeah, fitness is a part of that. And it's also not everything. Right. Like we can actually, you know, my experience has been, and I'm curious, uh, yours as well, that we can actually do less from a fitness component in terms of like how much volume or how much repetitions or how much like they're actually putting into it and yield similar, if not better results and actually lead to less injury, less fatigue. Right. Which is super huge for, you know, specifically first responders, because you never know when you're going to be out on a call. Right. Like you can be called out at any moment. So it's like needing to be ready for something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm curious if, if that's something that you've noticed as well as you've, as, as you've brought your component of fitness. And for those of you that, if you don't know uh, too much about Mike, like he's really big into the kettlebell world and the Bulgarian bags. Um, like I've personally gotten instruction from him and, uh, it's, I, I follow kettlebell lifestyle, um, when I'm actually planted somewhere with a kettlebell. So <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear what your experience with that has been like <clears throat> and yeah, go from there. Yeah, so you you like hit the nail on the head. And whether it's been my experience as an athlete, as a coach, and then working with firefighters specifically, like as an athlete, the more mature I got as an athlete, a hundred ten times out of ten, I realized the less that I did, the better I performed. And I was also being more efficient in learning how to prioritize what were the things that I actually should be focusing on and what things that do I not need to focus on. Like that this question was just asked to me yesterday. Uh, how much should uh, should one should a general person train, and then how much in general should a firefighter train? 
And the, the answer to that question for me is it, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because you can't just throw a blanket statement. But that being said, like even when I was, you know, competing at the highest level in kettlebell sport, won a world championships, even when I was uh, a drug free competitor in powerlifting, literally I never trained more than four days a week. It was three to four days a week, but they were super intentional sessions. They were efficient. I was moving on the other days, doing other things for recovery, maybe going for walks and stretching. But in terms of actual training, even competing at the highest level, for me personally, three to four days a week is all that someone needs. And when you consider other priorities in people's lives, like professional work priorities, family, other things that come up, like fitness should be supportive to mm -hmm. someone's dreams, not be something that pulls them away from it. And I think the mindset that I need to train six days a week, if it works for you and you enjoy doing it, great. But in terms of do you need to do it to reach even the highest level of fitness? Absolutely not. You just need to understand where you are in that moment and what things to focus on. With firefighters specifically, what I've really realized to clump them into, there's going to be gray area, but to clump them in two major categories, you've got the way out of shape, sometimes even obese people. Uh, and then you've got the hyper fit, like crossfitters, <laughs> like the, the, the beasts. I see. And yeah. And in my experience, actually, I mean, surprisingly, I'll say as a, as a blanket statement, the people who are overweight, out of shape, low fitness level, even borderline obese in some cases, oftentimes far outweigh the other side, outweigh mm. the overfit side. So if someone's coming to me who's overweight and stuff like that, and a lot of what I do, like sometimes we'll use technology like aura rings and things like that. Uh, but for me, breathing is one of the best markers in terms of how do I identify where someone should start and where should they not go to. And for these guys and gals, man, on the low fitness level, and I know you guys are such big proponents of this and we see so eye to eye, just getting someone to walk with their mouth closed. That's it. Just walk. And if anyone is listening to this right now, try this. Go outside, take a 20 to a 30 minute walk. We're not even going to mention the benefits of getting in nature right now, mm -hmm. but just go outside, take a 20 to 30 minute walk, close your mouth. And in fact, try to close your mouth all day. But for this specific example, close your mouth and just breathe in, out through, breathe in and out through your nose and feel one, probably how challenging that is because mo the vast majority of people I would say, especially firefighters who operate in a stressful state, and they make only three percent of firefighters spend time fighting fires. Mm -hmm. But the other ninety-seven percent, they're still stressed. Like when you look mm -hmm. at what these guys are eating, their activity level, the the amount of psychological stress most of them are under. Man, most of them are mouth breathing because that's a stressful way to breathe. That's like an automatic sympathetic response. Yep. But just go outside and breathe for a walk and watch, watch the difference that it'll make after just one, maybe even after one session. Sean, I know you were telling me about a guy that you were talking to, just getting them to do, or that gentleman to do five deep breaths through the belly, just five mm -hmm. was a game changer. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, uh, <clears throat> yeah, someone, someone, uh, came to someone that we worked with, Brian, um, we'll mention his name cause I know he's okay with it. And a lot of people probably know him so there's some the credibility factor uh yeah came to him looking for some support took him out on a ride and like let him 
you know, talk his piece. And then at some point he like it clicked, which is re also really cool to hear for us, you know, as someone who worked with us or uh, that we worked with in that capacity and was like, Hey man, <clears throat> we're just going to stop here. I just want you to take five breaths and, you know, one hand on the belly, one hand on the chest. And, you know, the cue being like, I want you to breathe into that, to the hand that's on your belly and just into that alone. And after five breaths, the guy looked over and was just like, what the fuck did you just do? Right? Like it was mind blowing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> which, you know, for, for, uh, those of us that have been in the fitness space or, uh, I, I would even venture to say the personal development space at this point, because breathing is definitely making its way in there. And, and most components in my experience, you know, we would look at something like that and be like, oh yeah, this is proper breathing mechanics. Like you breathe in through the nose, down into your belly, you know, take a couple deep breaths and everything, like go about your day. Right. But then to get the feedback that, you know, someone's experiencing that and having a life what sounded like a life-changing moment mm. from something that simple it's like what like one wow two cool and three what the fuck like how, why are we not there yet <clears throat> like uh, yeah that makes it makes i mean i get it i get it and like even in my own training right now and i think this will speak volumes because like in the programs that i write they're not necessarily they're, they have aspects, common threads and principles that I'm basically testing on myself and with athletes that I'm working with. Basically 100% of my training now, physical training, all happens with my mouth closed. Either mm -hmm. I'll tape my mouth and when I sleep, the mouth is closed and during the day as much as possible, I keep my mouth closed. And there's so many benefits that will come from nasal breathing. Like the mouth is not, honestly, the mouth's not designed to breathe. Like there's no connection to the brain. There's basically like an open hole. Think of it like that. The nose, the sinus cavity moves like basically into the center of the head. It's massive. And there's like parasympathetic nerve endings in the nose. So every time someone breathes in through the nose, you excite that side of the nervous system, which puts someone into that rest, repair, that feeling side. So when you're mm -hmm. talking about a firefighter, for example, that's gone out, um, and whether he's done something uh, very simple or it's been as crazy as fighting a fire, they're going to come back in a more stressful state. I mean, just getting them to gear up, like the gear that these guys have to wear, <laughs> the, the the turnouts, the boots, if they got to put on the oxygen tank, yep. the helmet, like all these things are really challenging. Anyone who's, anyone who's worn even a 10-pound weight vest or whatever can feel the difference if you can't try to do a pull-up with a, even five pounds on your back or 10 pounds mm -hmm. way harder way harder mm -hmm. um so you know with the nasal with, with breathing in through the nose you're exciting that part of the nervous system you're going to be much more able to concentrate and focus you're going to be make better sound decisions your ability to recover from traumatic events and put yourself into a more receptive side a more in my body side is just going to go up tremendously so what I've seen is I look at breath work. This is just how my brain thinks of it. And for three main focuses, and there's overlap and connection with all of them. But I look at breath work in general for function. Like, does it improve your everyday activities? Does it improve your sleep? Does it improve how you manage stress? That sort of stuff. Then I look at it from a healing perspective. And so there's different breath work modalities that can really drop you in and actually get you, as you guys are super familiar with, get you to have experiences that get you to help heal emotional traumas and wounds. Mm -hmm. And then I also look at it from the performance perspective. And no matter which one I'm looking at, I'm always trying to basically nasal breathe. Sometimes there's a point for mouth breathing,
but I'm actually trying to draw on all of the benefits, increasing our CO2 resistance or our CO2 tolerance that you're just not going to get from breathing in and out through the mouth. Like if someone's listening to this right now, and if we're all to do this, if we breathe in through the mouth, like just take one deep breath. Now close the mouth, take another deep breath and feel the difference. So when you compare the mouth breathing to the nasal breathing, there's about a two to three time increase of resistance of air coming in through the nose when you nasal breathe. Mm -hmm. That resistance, that reduction in air coming in is one way that you can actually increase your CO2 capacity and tolerance and increase your oxygen uptake. When you breathe in and air, air in and out through your mouth, you breathe too much, you breathe too fast. The relaxation phase specifically, when we're talking especially relating it to firefighters after a traumatic or a serious event, the focus should be on the exhale. Focus is on the exhale. The inhale is the excitation phase, is the mm -hmm. sympathetic phase. The exhale is the relaxation phase. So anyone who's listening, if you simply just focus on nasal breathing, extending your exhales, at least 1.5 times the inhale, just start watching and feeling over time the difference that it has, whether it's again from function, for healing or for performance. It's been, I've been so surprised in my own performance and training, what it's done for me. So I don't know if you, like I'm super excited about this because it's so relevant to what I'm I doing I can right tell now. you're excited. Yeah. So yeah, it's just been massive. So I just want to share that piece. Talking about the exhale. Yeah. Um, we talk about this too a longer exhale will put you more into a sympathetic state. I'm curious if what you're doing with the fire department, if you guys use HRV, because I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can track how your breath is affecting your HRV, which is indirectly affecting or measuring your sympathetic or parasympathetic tone. So, HRV, we did use that within the measurements of the, the work that we've been doing. Uh, we were using Aura Rings, so okay. we got each guy and gal connected with that. And even when I was working with them on their training, so what I would do is I basically would break up like a chart and I would break up different percentage ranges of, mainly it was the readiness score in the Aura Ring. And a big piece of that is the HRV and, a few, and their sleep and a few other metrics. Mm -hmm. And so basically I would tell them if you're on this given day, if you're between this percentage range, then you need to back off your training volume by 30%. If you're within this training range, you need to back it off by 50%. If it's in this range, just the flexibility program, the meditation work, or just go for a walk and take it off. And so the HRV was one of the components specifically within that overall readiness score that we were looking at for sure. Hmm. Uh earlier you were mentioning walking and in the clinical setting for me, I have people come in and they're like, Oh, I want to lose weight. I want to get back into shape. I want to get back into the gym. And I stop them. I look at them and I say, start by walking. Um, many times these people don't want to lose weight. They want to get in the gym. Like if you haven't been in the gym in the last 15 years, going to the gym is a shock to you. Hmm. And so many people, neglect the lowest hanging fruit like go for a walk leave your phone at home and like what you said nasal breathing very simple and um you can see massive difference 
just, <laughs> just, just by walking. Um, and then I also want to talk about the nasal breathing. Um, this is only anecdotal evidence from what I notice. It seems like there's a higher percentage of sleep apnea in, fire to, in firefighters than compared to the rest of the, um, the population. And this just from my observation, I believe that comes from the simple aspect of mouth breathing. Um, I've had patients that were like pre-sleep apnea, if that's such a thing. I said, hey, why don't you try some mouth tape at night? Um, because they said, I don't want to sleep with a CPAP machine which I don't blame them. Um, <laughs> and they said it's helped. So yeah, that nasal breathing, again, low hanging fruit. Um, fitness, life-changing stuff does not need to be sexy. Although nose breathing <laughs> is pretty doggone sexy. Have you seen, have you ever went on a date with a mouth breather? Oh man. <laughs> it's a little too much. <laughs> um, Mike, I, I loved you. I love if you could go more into depth on what you're doing with the fire department. Like the, I, I'm as a clinician, as a doctor, I love the nitty gritty details um, and the labs and everything. So if you could go on to that, I would love that. Yeah. That, yeah. I was just mentioning real quick. Another thing that you mentioned earlier that that stems off of this is, yeah, you're talking about uh, testing, getting results. Like you guys are quantifying a lot of things, which I imagine, you know, for our listeners out there, Right. A lot of us <clears throat> just from the human condition, like we, we want to know more about what's actually going on. So, yeah, if you have any data, you know, what results you guys were seeing on, on top of what it was, obviously, that you guys are doing, you know, because you'd mentioned something earlier about like sleep improvement, less anxiety, stuff like that. So, like, yeah, any kind of data that you have around that, I imagine the, the listeners would, would love to hear whatever you've got on that. Let's start with what's your end goal for this? Yeah, you know. With the end goal, I can certainly share some of the stats. I've got literally like a whole packet here. I'll have to just feed through it as we're going. But I definitely got a few cool things to share. And like the end all goal, you know, when you look at whether it's workman compensation, that the amount that fire station, like we, we service both the stations as well as individuals if they're, they want to do a program on themselves, which we didn't have before in the past. So whether it's a station that wants to do it with their crews, you can certainly do that or an individual you know, the overall goal is to help improve the resiliency of firefighters. And with that word resiliency, we're looking at reducing the amount of just cancer. The, the cancer rates are just fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Cardiac events, wow. su mm -hmm. suicides, uh, physical injuries, shoulders and low backs. Those are the two areas. You know, a lot of times the low back injuries that I've seen and, and having conversations with many firefighters, a lot of the low back injuries tend to happen when they're doing like a person transport. So for example, you know, a lot of the calls is them going to, I don't know, pick up grandma and move her or someone who's fallen down, whatever, an elderly. And they've got to move people from a low position that involves rotation. And anyone who's moved a person or had, whether they've had assistance or not, knows that like live body weight is so much different. <laughs> than moving uh, a dumbbell, even a kettlebell oh, yeah. or a barbell. Mm -hmm. It's like real live body weight is awkward. And when you put yeah. yourself into these positions of bending and rotation from low positions, cramp positions, and you might have your boots and you might have the fucking turnouts on, even if it's just the lower body, like all that stuff, you really can't 
the way I kind of envision it is like when you approach a deadlift bar, like you could just stomp your feet, one, two, take a bite out, hold your breath, grip and rip. It's like, you can't really do that with a person, like even no. if you wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love that. You, you love can that. you can deadlift three fifty, but one hundred and eighty of a, a person is oh man, that's brutal. It, dude, I, I actually just went on a hunting trip this weekend, and you know, just transporting an animal, like mm. even a two hundred pound animal, which is not light, three of us could barely move it because yeah. it's it's just a very different experience. So a lot of the lower back injuries all happen, not all happen, but often happen from a situation like that. A lot of shoulder injuries happen mm-hmm. due to them like throwing ladders, or let's say they have to pick up the fire hose at the top of the truck where they're reaching. Mm. Oftentimes they're, they're basically reaching their hand and then they're, they're already forward thinking to the next step of what they need to do. Mm. And so their arm and their shoulders in a position oftentimes that one, it's not ready for to carry that load in that position. There might be restriction in the clothing, they might be standing up on the rig and then they've got to go to the next thing. And so the shoulder issues are often pretty common. And in the, let me think back in 2018, 19, I worked with Santa Clara County, as I mentioned, I had the opportunity at that time to assess doing like a physical assessment on everybody. And so I only had like 18 ish minutes cause we had a ton of people to go through for each person. So I was humming, but in that perspective, I was looking at weight shift, for example, like two dual scales, looking at how heavy is someone from left and right side. Um, what else were we doing? We were looking at uh, ankle dorsiflexion, so the mobility around the ankles. There were some postural tests that we were looking at, spinal curvatures, was looking at core function, um, basic movement assessments on like movements like a squat. Um, And there was a few other tests that as well that I was screening for overhead range of motion. And what was fascinating was after I was recording all these tests, basically, if I recall correctly, it was almost 100% of the time, the longer that someone had been a firefighter, the more injuries they had sustained because they were writing basically their current injury, their past injury, because I was designing the program at that time, super custom. And so I was basically creating the department for all of them four different levels like beginner or low fitness to higher fitness but also taking into account the types of injuries that a lot of them were facing and it was insane the amount of injuries that everyone had and again the longer they were firefighters and the more especially they had been on the line the more and more injuries so to your question what's the overall goal of the program it's the resiliency the physical resiliency but also the mental and emotional resiliency of firefighters to reduce a lot of these things that are preventable, <laughs> the preventable care of first responders, it's there. But in my experience, what I'm learning in these last few years, um, it's not quite, or not sometimes not by a long shot up to the standards that I would look for, that I would, I would, I would expect and hope that people that are basically signing up to put their life on the line would have. And so mm-hmm. uh, the statistics are scary and Again, only 3% of firefighters are actually firing, fighting fires. When you look at the statistics, oftentimes all those statistics, like you could focus on the amount of like, um, you know, the washing of the turnouts. I know that was huge. Sometimes now, not a lot, maybe all the time now, stations have washing machines and they're washing their, their turnouts there. All those things, like the amount of chemicals, yes, plays a big role in those statistics. But the simple stuff, the simple stuff that we're talking about, the walking, the breathing, 
sleeping with your mouth taped. Like those are the things that we all know, like the lowest hanging fruit, but the things that that's the meat and potatoes right there. Um, so that's really the overall goal to, to increase the resilience of, to reduce a lot of these, these statistics that don't need to be there and to overall focus on a holistic way to, to support the longevity of firefighters and first responders. That that's, <clears throat> I, I find it interesting. Um, my mind went to two places for the, you were talking about the injuries, the shoulder injuries, the back injuries. Um, you were assessing movement and so on and so forth. And again, most likely the breathing ties into it. So many times, uh, again, in the clinician setting, I, I work with people oh, my shoulder, my neck hurts. Well, let's assess your breathing. Bam, your breathing is all backwards. Um, so <laughs> yes, it's it, again, you're taking the holistic approach, which, which is great. We're not just saying, oh, your ankle dorsiflexion is horrible. Oh, also your, your breathing um, strength and so on and so forth. Um, and then the second thing, uh, my dad was a firefighter, so I know a little bit about this the increased incidency of heart disease of all these things, which in my humble opinion, um, the nervous system plays a part. And mm. if our, we're in that sympathetic upregulated tone all the time, and if we never know how to downregulate it, yeah, you better believe it. You're going to have uh, increased incidence of heart disease. Um, I'll, I'll even go as far as, uh, colon cancer, IBD, lack of sleep, so on and so forth. Um, can you go into, again, I love the technical stuff. Can you go into like the objectable outcomes that you're going into, um, markers, um, so on and so forth that you're dealing with, with these firefighters? Yeah. So we're going after like, here's just a, a list. So, um, so sleep, so sleep quality was a big one. And we used a device called Eversleep. And so Eversleep is like a, it's an amazing device. And it's looking at um, like all sorts of sleep incidences during the night. And it can be a very early screening for sleep apnea. And what we found is, is like, there was so many people more than I ever thought that not only had sleep apnea or were right there about to get it. And so what it is, is it's not only an assessment tool that you wear, you wear it on the finger, if I recall, and it, and it might even be correlated to HRV. I'm not quite positive, but basically it'll give you like a, an insane graph of statistics, but then it also provides coaching data personalized to you of things that you can do to reduce the, the likelihood that you're going to be hopefully susceptible to sleep apnea. Because one of the things that you mentioned, Lance, that I think going back to firefighters being human beings is like, nobody wants sleep apnea. Nobody wants to have a CPAP machine and anyone who has, I have it, but I know people who have, and I've had clients mm -hmm. who have CPAP machines. Dude, that sucks for like your partner in bed. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Like that's just like super not cool to have a device on your face. Um, it's just not sexy. It can definitely impact the intimacy with the partner. Yeah. Um, Traveling so, with it traveling dude like no one's really talking about the the like the lifestyle implications of what actually happens so yeah you might be sleeping deeper if you got a sleep hat machine potentially but like what kind of life is that to live if 
if it's preventable, especially a lot mm-hmm. of times. I, I so, feel like um, the people that I've run into that have CPAPs, um, I can't say a percentage, but let's say a few of them, they sleep in different beds from other partners. Come on. <laughs> like if you're married to this person, you shouldn't be sleeping in another bed. Unfortunately, you are due to a CPAP machine, which sucks. Yeah. And Mike, I just want to point something else out. It's uh, you, you mentioned it towards the beginning of this episode and it's been mentioned several times. I just really want to touch upon it and like how impactful the statement that you made about like first responders or human beings too, right? Like <clears throat> we, like we, Lance and I having worked with, uh, you know, veterans and like doing a lot of like story work and mental emotional work, like understanding like the stories that, you know, we all carry, like such, that's such an important aspect that I, I really do imagine most people just, they're just not consciously aware of it. It's like, yeah, like we're all human beings, right? Like as civilians, I, I remember before I went into the military, and my experience after leaving, you know, has been very similar. It's like looking at the military and first responders, like, you know, when you throw the the term hero on somebody like that carries a lot of weight, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we look to these populations to be superhuman and the reality of it is they're still human fucking beings, right? Like, like they, we, like we, as veterans as being in the military and, and first responders, like we experience the same things as everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the old saying, like we put our pants on the same way. Typically mine's the left leg first and the right leg. My shit right? still smells. My shit still smells. And yeah. Are there people in these populations that are going out and doing um, grand, great things? Absolutely. Right. Not everybody can run into a burning building. Not everybody can, can, you know, get shot at. Not everybody can go out and save people's life for a living. Like we want to acknowledge that. And that doesn't mean that we're not experiencing the same things as everybody else. We still get anxiety, depression, and we still need that connection with people. We, we still need intimacy. So I'm like, I'm super happy that you brought that up because I imagine that's a conversation most people aren't having, right? Like who's going to say like, oh yeah, you know, having a CPAP machine, like, yeah, it's helping them breathe. But like, what kind of impact is that having, right? Like as human beings, we need social connection and we crave that, that physical intimacy, you know, more often than not, you know, especially when it comes from a partner. So yeah, I just really wanted to like highlight that for a second because it is such a huge part of it. And even for those that are veterans, active duty military or first responders, like it's just as important for them to remember it just as much as anybody else, because, you know, I'll speak into my experience of, uh, this, this aspect of me that was afraid to share that I needed support at times. Right. And so like, I I wanted to shed light on that as well. So that way, like for those that are listening, like if you are actively in one of these positions, like remember you're a human fucking being and it's okay to experience the wide array of what it means to be human. Right. And that's, that's why we, you know, that's why we want to do more of this work. We want to bring more of this work to these people so they can, you know, start to live more fulfilling lives, but also to like help them heal. Like you're, like you're saying. And so, yeah, I just, I just wanted to shed some light on that. Uh, cause I, I do see that as being something really important. And, um, yeah, I'm also still very curious about some of these statistics as well in terms of, uh, stuff that you guys are finding, uh, while working with them. I'm going to hop in real quick, the asking for support. And this comes up with almost every call we get on. Vulnerability leads to vulnerability. Being the first one to ask for support Mm -hmm. allows everybody else to ask for support. 
So that being said, Mike, please take it away. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wish I had in front of me the one that we did the study when we did with Santa Clara County, because I'll share what we learned from each study and then I'll share some what, what we do have. So in that first one, we did all like everyone did labs, like very super involved lab hormonal panels, like all sorts of crazy stuff, which was great and fascinating. But one, it increases the cost of the program significantly. Oh, yeah. And so for a station to take on and do again, have me doing one on one assessments for everybody or rings, um, man, they had so much other stuff too. Um, everyone body fat testing. They had a hydrostatic thing come multiple, I think multiple times for sure. First and in, in beginning and at the end and maybe in the middle, everyone got in-depth labs. Like that was a really costly thing to do. And so what we learned was, is when Danielle and I, my current partner on, on the current stuff right now, what we learned is while that stuff is beneficial and is really insightful, it's, it's so much of the coaching aspect that delivers the biggest bang for your buck. And it's mm -hmm. not on it. Like the statistics, like the numbers on those labs, like we did, like I'm recalling uh, one person specifically, like what was really cool about the lab testing was, is they were able to identify things like um, thyroid issues and autoimmune conditions well before the people even knew it was an issue. And so mm. the, the amount of like Hashimoto's was one, like, they got to identify that on someone and work with them through dietary intervention. Like, mm -hmm. so it, that was really cool, but by and large, really having a more affordable program that focuses on the lifestyle stuff and is a little bit less testing focused mm -hmm. and also for specific people, like with the Eversleep data and stuff like that, like you can identify certain things. Like if someone's not sleeping, whether they have or don't have sleep apnea, like their ability, like their, their sensitivity to uh, their insulin sensitivity and like how they deal with blood, their blood sugar regulation, um, how they deal with stress. If someone's not sleeping, they're just mm -hmm. more than likely a more edgy person. <laughs> and so with some of the more economical things, what we found is let's focus on the coaching a little bit less on the expensive tests. Mm. Uh, and then if we do find something or like there is certain things that we can identify, we can certainly suggest testing, which we did for a few individuals and it was promising, but that was just some of the things. So I wish I had that data because I think that would be really interesting, but um, we just found it wasn't really necessary to make this an economical program that could actually go to scale. So some of the things that we've got here are breathing events per hour. And so coming hmm. in, we had an average of four breathing events per hour, up to 25 events per hour. And so what breathing events mean is breathing events are the number of times your oxygen level quickly drops by four points below baseline. Hmm. Uh, this is not an indication of not breathing. Five or less events per hour is considered healthy. Um, typically a physician is going to diagnose a CPAP machine at 15 plus events per hour. So, so is this a sleep study? Th this is, this is actually what we were looking at post. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, other things that we were looking at was like oxygen saturation. So that's actually a really interesting statistic. So anything below, man, if, if oxygen, like for, if I recall correctly, if oxygen saturation drops less than. I mean, 88 is still considered like, mm -hmm. that is like significant. If someone's oxygen saturation is below 88%, that's a significant drop. I think most of us are operating in daily life, like between 97 and 100%. So mm -hmm. 
something around there. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just see if I can find the statistics in here. Um, one percent. This is at the end. One participant experienced an average of 13 minutes of O2 saturation at the end, below 88 um, percent. And then one night their O2 was below 88 uh, percent for 33 minutes. So mm-hmm. basically, for 33 minutes, they're in a hypoxic state. They're in wow. an oxygen deprived state. So think of it like if someone, if you're listening to this, like you're basically working at altitude. And so this doesn't have all of this has more post data that we collected in front of me. Um, but all that to say, the numbers were much higher in terms of how many people, whether for a short amount of time or a lot of amount of time, were basically in an oxygen deprived state, which is going to affect oxygen for me is the most important. It's the number one nutrient in the body, hands down. So if someone's going to be in a deprived state, you're going to start seeing a whole host of effects and, and stuff going on. Hmm. see what else we got. If you've ever seen videos of, um, to become a fighter pilot, you got to go into a, uh, what do they call it? A chamber, uh, a vacuum. And they bring you up to altitude. I think it's, you know, anything above 10,000, you're supposed to carry O2 in an airplane if it's not a pressurized chamber. Um, and they put these fighter pilots in a um, hyperbaric chamber where they, um, not hyperbaric, hypobaric. Anyway, they take all the way the oxygen. People get stupid. Like they're not (laughs) even able to remember their name. They're not even able to add. Imagine if you're doing that on a daily basis. I I like what you said. Oxygen's the number one nutrient. And yeah, why not? Simple again. Dude, this like, this stuff is, I don't want to say so simple because sometimes the, the simplest stuff, and as I think we're realizing in just everyday life, like the simplest stuff is the hardest stuff to mm-hmm. sometimes implement. And that's why the coaching aspect is so important. Like if someone could just, you know, uh, understand that eating healthier, avoiding sugar was bad for them and do it, like we'd be in a very different situation today. But it's so much around the behavioral side and past experiences and how cultural stuff, like one interesting thing about the fire stations is when I was first coming into it, one of the things that surprised me most was the culture. Like, mm. it's like, um, remind me of like high school football. Yep. Like, and, <laughs> yep. And, and, and I think that's probably why it attracts the types of people that it does. Like people that mm-hmm. maybe played high school sports or college team sports and are longing and miss that camaraderie and that community and that accountability. Like, so with that, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And also the flip side of that could be like the peer pressure component. Like I forget what, when I was running it with, uh, for Santa Clara County, they had a nickname because they had, they had selected volunteers from different crews to participate in it. And I think we had 18 or 19 firefighters in it at all different levels of, of age and experience uh, on, the, on the line. And, uh, you know, I think that they would call them uh, like the super soldiers. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call them. So oh, people outside, oh, you're in the super soldier program. You're in the super soldier program, you know, like because they were coming back and they were eating super healthy and made them look bad or feel bad. Like I did a ride along with, uh, one of the, I did, I've done two ride alongs and like the types of gifts that firefighters often get are sweets, mm-hmm. ice creams and that sort of stuff. 
So you come in on the super soldier program, eating salmon <laughs> and sweet potatoes <laughs> and, and working out doing the warmups that I lead, which sometimes look really funny. Uh, like you, you're, you're, you're a target for, you know, the, 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 let's say the new age football team to come at you and rip you a new one. And uh, so, you know, I, 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 I love the community aspect and I respect it. And all this goes to say how, and I do this and I know we do this because we have so much admiration and respect and we want to help. And also we need to, and I know you guys are super big on this. We need to speak about candidly about what's really happening. Otherwise the same shit is going to just perpetuate and perpetuate and perpetuate and unless someone says this is not normal, like going around and seeing that most firefighters or let's just say a majority of them, whatever it is, are actually overweight and some of them obese, like that, that's really just not acceptable, not just for the role that they play, but also for their own life. Like right. for their own, like I really do believe that everyone has a right to be fucking healthy and happy and how truly how healthy are you going to be if you're not sleeping, if you're mm -hmm. basically having a blood sugar crash after you eat a meal, if you get up and you're in pain, some of that's unavoidable if you've had an, an injury that, you, you know, something happened on the job. But a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is preventable. And that's where I have an issue with it. And that's mm -hmm. also why I know myself and we're so motivated to help this community. Yeah, 100%. And I'm, I'm happy as well that you brought up the coaching aspect of it because you know one thing that we found with this last group that we worked with in our in our coaching program and you know we'll call it coaching program for all intents and purposes right now and I, I think it's definitely more than that you know you can throw the word mentor or guide in there um interchangeably um but what we were finding is because like as we were going through some of these basic concepts and principles with them the feedback that we we're getting was like, oh, cool. You're not telling us anything new, which was like, awesome. This is nothing new. Then why, how come it's, where's the disconnect? What, if, if this is nothing new to you, why, like, what did we do differently or what was done differently for it to land this time? And that seems to be the biggest thing right there is that the, whoever's coming in and, and teaching these things, well-intentioned, obviously, or we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And at the same time, it's like, wait a minute. Why is it like, how come? Yeah. Where is this disconnect coming from? Why is it not landing? And it is, it's that coaching aspects, that connection aspect. And like, we know specifically with veterans, there's, uh, there's definitely a disconnect between the veteran population and most of the other world, just from stories that have been built up of, of time of being in the military, whether it's distrust or, you know, lack of shared experience doesn't matter, right? It's the, the important part is less the information. And, and I know we've been talking about like, oh, share the data with us. We're on the same page. Like the data is literally just, it's a, such a small piece of the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can geek out and nerd on it all that we want and it can be fun to dive into it. And the reality of it is it really doesn't fucking matter. What matters is the results and mm -hmm. the results that people are getting. And that comes mostly from someone's ability to connect with these individuals in order to help this information land more. And it's something that, that we found is that, you know, we people were going through our program. It's like, Oh, we're finding a way to take this, inf this relevant information that we know has an impact on them. And we're able to package it in a way for it to land for them. And that's, what's important. 
And that's why it, there is no cook. Like it's none of this is cookie cutter as much as we would love it to be towards you. You can just cut and mold and, and give it to somebody and be like, cool, take this and run with it. And you'll see the results. Like we all know that's just, that's not how this works. And so having people in positions like yourself or us, where we're presenting, not only are we presenting this information, but we're finding ways to connect with these individuals, which I think is the, the biggest disconnect in and of itself is that the people that are in positions to help and support these populations just simply are not making the connections. They're not, it's like, we're, they're forgetting what we talked about earlier, that these are human beings too, right? It's not like, oh, here you go, super soldier, eat this, do these movements and you'll fucking crush it. It's like, nope, sorry, doesn't work that way. Are there exceptions to that rule? Absolutely. You're going to have your go-getters that are able to take it and package it and, and make it work for them. And the majority of the people though, like that human connection piece is necessary. So I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up because for anybody out there listening, you know, we can give you all the information that you want, right? We can tell you exactly what to do. Hey, this is what's going to help you sleep better. This is what's going to help manage your anxiety, your depression, your, your pain, your aches, your, your ability to perform. We can give you all of that for free and we will always do so. And it is useless unless you know what to do with it. And that's where having a coach or a guide or a mentor can have such a huge impact on somebody. So happy you brought that up. Um, and yeah, like, like I mentioned, like the, the data is cool. And at the same time, we don't need it. Like it's not necessary to make the changes. Can it help? Yes. And it's not necessary. Yeah. And you brought up something that I want to touch on what you shared mm -hmm. and also something that Lance shared earlier about breathing. Like, like you could literally just stand in front of someone and if they don't know you're assessing them, like just look at them from the back as they're breathing and you can identify pretty easily if they've got some type of breathing dysfunction. And one of the things like the education piece that I've really focused on when I'm talking with firefighters is like these bridges and these connections. And so like if someone has like I've never, ever, ever yet to this day in 18, 18 ish years as a coach or as a trainer, and I wasn't doing the types of assessments when I started that I do now, but was probably starting to look basic at basic breathing stuff maybe 15 years ago. I've never assessed someone who didn't have a breathing dysfunction that didn't also sometime have, have some sort of core dysfunction as well, their ability to stabilize their spine. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about on any of these lifts, whether they're in the gym or moving a person or throwing ladders or dragging a hose or climbing stairs, how much is the core involved to stabilize the spine? Well, it's going to be involved in every single one of those activities, right? So if they have a breathing dysfunction and the major breathing muscle is the diaphragm, which is also one of the major stabilization muscles of the core, just fix your breathing and watch what it does to your back pain, like, or your ability to feel safe and secure when you're moving something or lifting something. Like the amount of people who are in back pain, which is huge today, and Lance, you could speak more to this than me. It's like the amount of people who are in back pain that literally if we just got them to breathe right would also improve the pain. Like the, it, it, it's, it's really incredible. Um, and Sean, something that you were saying that really hit home for me was, and this isn't just with first responders, but I've seen this a lot when I've worked with trainers over the years. And I feel like, I don't know any other way to say it, but I feel like, oh, what, maybe it's a lack of awareness, which I think there's a large part of that. But there's also, in my experience, a lack of humbleness in the sense mm -hmm. of like with trainers, 
the amount of people that, and I, I can't even tell you how many kettlebell workshops I've taught in 18 years, like hundreds, hundreds of workshops, right? And, or helped with certifications or taught certs, et cetera. The amount of trainers that have told me, let's say on the kettlebell snatch, under, when I'm like, does anyone have any questions on the snatch before we go into it? Or how do you guys feel? Oh, I got no problem with that. Like, I'm great. Or like people would talk on the phone with me and I say like, how can I help you? What are you struggling with? Or what would you love to learn more about? Where are you having difficulty in your training? And the amount of people that said, no, I'm great, or I've got no problem with it. And then when I see them move, I'm like, dude, we need to back, forget even loading the deadlift. Like, I just need to tell them how to actually where their head is in relation to their shoulders and to their hips and how to hinge with body weight or whatever. And when I was taking these firefighters through stuff, not always, like you've got definite exceptions to the rule, especially like the super duper fit guys and gals. But a lot of them in general think as a whole that they're way better than they are. And when I had one firefighter come to me on this last um, beta group study, and he's like, you know, we've got kettlebells in the program. And unfortunately, I couldn't do anything live because of COVID. So it was all virtual, which was really challenging, to be mm -hmm. honest, when, you, when you've got firefighters who are already sitting in front of computers all day. Mm -hmm. Moving forward, now that the scenery and the landscapes change, we're able to do some more in-person. But getting firefighters to sit in front of a computer and do movement is, is a lot to ask, especially for these guys that don't like it. Uh, but this one guy approached me. He's like, hey, man, I just don't feel confident with the kettlebell. I know you've got the instructionals. I'm just like a hands-on learner. Is there any way we can do a one-on-one -on -one session? And I was like, absolutely. Come to my place. Let's, you know, I'll help you. We'll at least get you through the major movements in the program and we'll go from there. Man, what I saw, you know, and I say this with the utmost respect, like what I saw was like cringeworthy and also amen to this dude for stepping up and voicing that he wants support. And literally in one hour, we went through basic fundamentals, just some breathing a few awareness drills on like how to deadlift, no swinging needed, like none, none of that shit needed. What, what's a, what's a good overhead press. Um, and I think just like one other, like three basic movements with awareness and teaching him a warm up. He was blown away when he left, like absolutely blown away. And in my head, I'm like, man, we didn't do much at all. <laughs> But what we did do was quality. And now he was like, wow, I feel so much more confident. I feel so, I'm like walking taller. Like my back doesn't hurt as much. Just getting me to place my feet and lay down, feet up the wall, laying down and breathing. All of a sudden my lower back pain's going away and I'm breathing more deeply than I have before. And like, wow, I just, I, I feel good and I'm excited. And, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, dude, we didn't do shit. But at the, like, at the same time, we did do a lot of stuff. But what all that to say is, in any, I think in any realm, oftentimes people have a very distorted view of where they are at. And that's why what you're saying, Sean, having a coach, a good coach, like who can look at some things other than just the deadlift and look at some other things that Im impact someone's health and performance, like that is so important, like way, way, way more important than getting a station or people to invest in you know, $5,000 of equipment. That's another big pet peeve that I've got is with military, with first responders, with a lot of that stuff, what I tend to see is people are a okay with investing 
thousands of dollars in equipment. But when it comes to actually learning how to use it, it's a whole nother story. Like, hey, pay 500 bucks for a workshop as opposed to 7K. You know, let me train all the stations. Let me train three stations, 500 bucks, whatever it is, as opposed to spending 7K on kettlebells. Let me teach you how to use one. Let me mm -hmm. teach you how to use mm -hmm. one. Grab a sandbag. Grab your backpack. Let me show you how to do it. That will go way further in reducing injury, reducing workman's compensation than buying the nicest, shiniest kettlebell or the <laughs> nicest, shiniest uh, thing. That, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset shift and a priority shift that needs to happen if we're really to affect actual change. And it goes to what you were saying on the coaching. So I just wanted to bring that up because I thought you hit that spot on. That and I think what you're saying is any good coach knows this. Master the basics. Well, that's part of it for sure. Breathing's basic, you know, lifting basic. You don't need to get again the nice sexy stuff like nasal breathing, but uh, <laughs> but master the basics. Uh, Mike, you're you're a very wise guy. You're you're um experience is, is very broad. We've been talking a lot about what you're doing to the fire department. And I know you just, well, more recently got back from a retreat, a men's retreat. Uh, I want to talk about that. Tell us a little bit about that retreat that you just went to in uh, Mount Shasta area, I believe. If Have you guys been to Mount Shasta by chance? <laughs> driven like you oh, guys yeah. are in a beautiful part of the country so you guys got wilderness you guys got oh, yeah. some beautiful yeah. yeah yeah i spent uh during my nomad time last year actually it was this year i was just there we, we spent a week um 10 minutes from or 15 minutes from the base of shasta so you 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 know just oh, that's, that area is magical like to be able to host a retreat there they say that the uh for anyone listening, they say that Shasta is the root, one of the root chakra points in the world. So all that to say is whether you believe in chakras or not, it's an area that really is, is a very like grounding force. Like when mm -hmm. I walk there, like I just feel more solid in my body, like just more rooted basically. And so to host a retreat there with the land and looking out literally right outside of the tents, like really nice, comfortable tents, and you see this massive snow-capped mountain and all the food literally comes from across the street. The cows are right there. My partner was cooking. Literally, I've been describing it like if you guys ever rem remember the movie Hook, where <laughs> the kids are like imagining that food on the table. Mm. Like, and it was from every aspect. We had 17 guys there from just all walks of life, people that were very new in self-development, some people that had some experience. And really the whole focus of the retreat was hold your ground. And so getting people to um, step into vulnerability and really get clear from a visceral standpoint of what's important to them in life and what are they willing to stand for and what are they not willing to stand for. And so we basically exposed them to so many activities. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of them was out of the comfort zone of these guys, um, like eye gazing and stuff like that, which might sound really funny, but that's uh, scary. Dude, I've the done it. The first time that's doing powerful. Eye, eye gazing is I've jumped out of airplanes. I've repelled all this staring in, into a random stranger's eyes. Scary. What, you know, what's so funny about that is like a big focus of the retreat through the activities was giving people 
the experience, not talking about it, but the experience of moving into discomfort in a productive way. And I think like I was just speaking to one of my clients who's like a, just a badass black belt jujitsu, studied under the guy who studied with uh, Hicks and Gracie. This guy's like just a beast. And he'll refuse. Like he was like, oh, I'm really down for the retreat. And then, you know, the eye gazing is just an example of something that, that will just people, I think, would, would find challenging. A lot of guys specifically, myself <laughs> included, like it's challenging for me, that level of vulnerability and to hold that space with another man. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's like, dude, I'll do anything. I'll like jump out of airplanes. I'll like do this. I'm all about uncomfortable. I was like, well, can you, we do a minute of, uh, you know, like, are you down to do a minute of Ike? Fuck no, no way. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So it's, it's selective discomfort that yes. we're talking about. It's discomfort within your own strengths, yeah. uh, which is very different. So, um, but basically here's the funny thing was, is after night one, which was only literally started at 2.30 p.m., people came up to me and said they already got their money's worth. Damn. Literally. Yeah. And like, and it was, and the next day we brought in, um, Yuri Opendek, who's like one of the top five Wim Hof instructors in the world. Mm. He did an incredibly deep breath work session, uh, followed by one-on-one -on -one ice bath with sound healing. And like when, when guys were panicking a little bit in the ice, he'd get right in front of them and just basically stare them in the eyes and just keep them calm with his hands and with his breath. It was so moving to watch while the rest of the guys, when every single guy would come out and they'd be cold, you'd have the other 16 guys basically doing like primal warming up exercises with them all in unison. It was such a beautiful like merriment of like yin and yang, like the outward expression of movement and of physical exercise and moving our bodies with a lot more of the vulnerable introspective stuff like cacao ceremonies and rape ceremony and mm. we went on a silent hike with specific themes and prompts we did a sweat lodge as well which was amazing to have like a whole group of brothers in there uh we we did it with a native american who's been doing it for 49 years so imagine just when the heat's coming up you're chanting and singing with your brothers um sensory experience dinner where I guided people through a, a meditation to connect with food and say thanks and prayer with food. So it was like all the things that I've always wanted to do uh, and cultivate just like uh, an experience where these guys not only will develop that brotherhood in that community that's so needed, but actually have tools like every single activity gave them an experience and or a tool that they can integrate literally right away. Like it wasn't like some far-fetched stuff. It was practical. It was real world. And I've been literally, because the guys have been connecting still on the network that I created and we do integration calls as well. I've been blown away at just like the level of support, um, what people are saying, what they're walking away with. And it was beautiful, man. It was, it was so, it was beyond what I could have imagined. So I'm super grateful that you guys asked about it because it, it really like fills my heart up, man. It's super, super awesome. When's the next one? So talk about <laughs> action, talk about action, the, the, the male side of stuff booked it already. We got May 12th through the 15th. We're doing it back at Shasta. Uh, I've already got the whole farm booked out again. So you're literally on the land. Food is legit. And, um, 
I mean, the people really make the experience. I think Lance, me and you were talking before the call, like me and you were hyper preparers for our retreats. And there's a place for that, especially the first time you like, we really want this to be above and beyond for these guys. And just getting a group of men together Mm -hmm. and giving them the space to Mm -hmm. have literally just a conversation around the fire. Like that, like was, again, just from the first night, just from like two or three activities and sharing around a fire where people are at and the commonalities of what we all struggle with. Like that's the medicine that we need like Mm -hmm. as men. So that I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. You take the lid off before you drink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I completely agree. Um, Exactly what you said. I'm I'm an over preparer. Um, Back in the military, my ruck was 40 pounds overweight because I had extra everything. Um, And like you said, fireside talks, providing the space for men to share and be vulnerable. And then vulnerability again, leads to vulnerability. Um, providing that space to open share is magical in and of itself. And anything you add on top of that is bonus. Um, I'm all in Mike for the next one, except there's eye gazing. So, you know, I'm out, man. <laughs> Screw that shit. Screw it. <laughs> Ice bath. I'm fine with eye gazing screw that shit but <laughs> mike it's funny that you bring that up because you know lance was the first one to mention this and I, I love sharing it as well but it's like we've worked with some really badass motherfuckers who would gladly kick down doors run into bullets and do all of that stuff ask them to talk about their emotions though they're fucking out nope not gonna do it right so this <clears throat> you know we're talking about, you know, men's retreats and, and gatherings and it, it is very important work right now. And, you know, this comes from my own personal experience as well. You know, that was, um, you know, something that you and I got to share. Well, I, all three of us, you know, back in August of 2020, right. We got to go to a, a men's retreat out in Colorado and, and the impact that we saw with that was amazing. And then several months later, um, our, our friend Chris, you know, hosted another one, um, so we got to do it that second time out out in Texas. And yeah, there's, you know, we've been learning that as well. You know, myself and there's a group of friends of, of mine that have been traveling. Uh, my, my, my friend Benjo and I have been doing this basically since that retreat. Like that, that retreat changed everything for me. Like going out and experiencing that, um, getting to connect w- with other men and to see that like, yeah, like w- we're all experiencing something similar and we all need that support from one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially right now, there's a lot of, you know, talk out there about, uh, toxic masculinity and, you know, men do do not know how to be men. Like we just, we don't have the rituals like we used to have. We don't have the upbringings like, like we used to have. Um, for anybody that's curious, you know, a, a book that you can read, it's called Iron John. Uh, it's a great, great read that talks about, you know, really what like the coming of of, of manhood and uh, the aspect of the wild man that we have all a lot of us have lost connection to. And I know I like I've been experiencing that firsthand in my life. And it's something that I've just been recently being able to been or step into. And the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, a revelation that I had was I thought me joining the military was becoming a man. And mm-hmm. the reality of it is like, I'll, I'll speak into it, whether or not anybody else will, 
is, is debatable. Like that simple act of me joining the military and I deployed, I saw combat, right? Like I went and did the thing that is still not what it means to be a man. Like I, like I thought like I had stepped into manhood at the, like I deployed at the age of 20, right? So fresh out of high school, went to the military, deployed at the age of 20, come back thinking like, oh, like I'm a man now I can do all like, I went and saw combat. I've, you know, I, I saw people die. Like I'm a man now. Fuck no. Like uh, the hardest work that I've done has actually been since I left the military and more, more specifically these last recent years. So I really wanted to bring that up because, you know, for anybody out there, like if you have not experienced connection, vulnerability, humbleness, right. All like all these different things, like there's still so much more to learn. And, and I still have a lot to learn. Like I'll admit that I'm in a much better place than I was before though. That's for damn sure. And I know that it's like the way that I show up now, like I couldn't have shown up had I not done the work, like what you're talking about, right? Bringing men together, doing this type of work. Um, and then even in, in the stuff that Lance and I are doing and John and, and, and what we're bringing through the coaching lens, like we're bringing aspects, uh, to life that just many men have not experienced. And, and, you know, we've also worked with women as well. And, and there's a lot of the same tools apply for them, but like this conversation around, you know, manhood and masculinity, because like, you know, uh, we live, uh, we live in very confusing times, right? Like I've spoken to many men uh, in particular, where it's like myself included, like it's been difficult to show up in so many of the of these different ways for fear of, you know, what, what judgments might come about it, what society might think. And that's why we wanted to talk about, you know, this retreat that you did, because it is, it is super important work. And I know there's other, there's other men out there doing it. There's other programs out there doing it. And at the same time, like I've still seen a lot of these programs in particular, I won't name any in, in, I won't call it any by name, but they're, they're claiming to, to be doing the work for men. Like, oh, real men do this, real men do that. And the reality of it is they're just perpetuating more of, of, the, of the wound, right? There's so much wounded men out there that just do not know what to do. And so, you know, for anybody that might be experiencing that, or if you're getting the feedback that suggests that this is happening in your life, like, please go out and seek, you know, some of these different men's groups or these different programs. Like you can absolutely reach out to us. We can point you in, into some amazing directions. Like I've been blessed to... Uh, have met and become friends with some amazing human beings that have really opened my eyes to what it really means to be a man and to to step into manhood and to, and to do it in a healthy way. Because yeah, I mean, the, the way our society is is portraying it, there's just a lot of gaps, there's a lot of holes. And so it is super important work. And, it, and the reality of it is we are seeing that quite a bit in the military and first responders, right? Because there's there's this identity that comes along with it. There's these these structures that are created. And it's like these, uh, these stories that are handed down to us. And like you were mentioning earlier about like the connection, like it's like, Oh, it's like being on a high school football team again. That's all well and great. And the connection's fun. And, and like, I love the camaraderie. And at the same time, like there is shit that needs to be addressed in that. So I'm happy that you brought it up and it's something that we will continue to call out as well. Um, and I love that you've already got your next one scheduled, right? For, so for anybody listening, like, like I said, we can definitely, get you guys in contact and um, or if there's any any women out there that are listening to this that it's like hey you know my my spouse my partner my brother whatever would benefit from it like 
we would love to have that conversation as well. But yeah, this is, it, it is, it's, it's very relevant work right now. And, you know, having gotten to share space with you, Mike, you know, several different times now we've been to Costa Rica, uh, these two other men's retreats. Um, you know, I'm glad to see you stepping into that more and leading more men because you're, you're the perfect guy for it. And I know that you've, you've already had such an impact on my life and, you know, we've, we've gotten to uh, speak many a different times. And so I just really wanted to highlight that. And yeah, like this, this work is needed. So thank you. Oh, dude, thank you so much. And actually, like, I remember going back to you. I, I think it was the, I think it was in Colorado, one of the last men's retreats. And at the end of it, I actually shared that this is what I wanted to do. And at that time I had no, no idea that I was like, it was, I was like, I would love to, you know, at some point host retreats for men and and then literally about a, within a year plus or minus later, whenever that was, like we're doing it. So, and that all came from just voicing what I wanted and a desire inside and then getting to share that with a group of men who were really there to listen. And that just like was one thing that I think helped give me the confidence and plant the seed and putting myself accountable for this stuff so that, um, it's had a direct, a direct impact. Like these, these, like, I really do believe that even for myself, a minimum, minimum of once a year, I'm doing a retreat or something like that experience for myself at minimum. Um, and I love that you mentioned iron John, I actually just, just read it like a few months ago. And there was something that stuck out to me that, um, just was, it's just been fascinating for me to learn. I've been studying more about like, how did we get here? Like, how did we get in the current state that we're in? And one thing that I'll share that I just comes to mind from that book was uh, Robert Bly was sharing that as hunter gatherers uh, specifically, like when we look back to hunter gatherers times, sons and their fathers spent basically all day together. Like, so sons could observe their fathers and what they were doing. And the fathers would teach their sons and take them on hunts and teach them certain skills, whether it was fishing or whatever they were doing. And that happened for thousands of years, fathers and son, father and son, father and son. And then even the transition during the agricultural revolution, fathers and sons were still spending a majority of the time together. Mm. And they were sons were actually observing what they were doing on the farm and helping. And there was an inherent trust and bond between father and son. But then what happened is, is during the industrial revolution, there was a big switch. Fathers were pulled from the country or from the farms into factories. And then all of a sudden you had this large gap in the day where fathers weren't with their sons. They would actually come home from work and be exhausted. And I'm sure a lot of us can probably relate to it because it was in my family that was the case. My dad, God bless him, like I didn't know what he was doing. But he would come home and be really tired and exhausted. And so there was like uh, an inherent mistrust in the psychology of boys not knowing what their fathers was doing. And during that large absence, that perpetuated a lot of the, the like perpetuation of just boy psychology that he, I think, refers to in the book, uh, if I recall correctly. But I thought that was fascinating in terms of like when you look way back to even now, how did we get to where we got? And a lot of it's due. We just don't have the, the reps and the time and the hours spent with our elders, with these leaders, with our father figures. And so we're forced to figure it out on our own. And figuring out on our own means looking on the internet and seeing who's 
getting paid the most money to model mm. this thing or that thing or and it's it's completely flawed and in a, mm. a wrong way to to lead youth and if we don't have experiences like what we're talking about it becomes really hard to figure it out it it really does <laughs> I, i'm going to end it on that that was <laughs> that was solid um Mike, a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, for those who want to follow you and look you up, whether it's your kettlebell stuff or your future retreat that I won't be at because there's eye gazing. Um, <laughs> where, where can uh, everybody find you? Uh, thank you so much, guys. Uh, this has been super fun. The best place would be my website, which is mikesalemi.io not.com or just on instagram uh which is just my name mike.salemi uh, on my website you can find in the in the top bar you can find the different programs that i teach and lead in this retreat and on my instagram that's where i'm super active putting out content as well or my youtube channel which is just my name as well so those are all great places Mike, thank you again. And I know we will have you back for further episodes because there's so much more to talk about. But this, yeah, this has been great. You know, yeah, just thank you for everything. Thanks for putting in the work that you do and for showing up that the way you do because it's your your gift is much needed right now. So keep keep going. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, and we'll catch you on the other side. <laughs>